Hello and welcome to the Pro Football Network Miami Dolphins podcast. I'm your host, Matt Infante, joined as always by Adam H. Beasley. And Adam, on Sunday, the Dolphins defeated the Panthers. They're 5-1 and one for the first time since 2002, which is Ricky Williams' first year with the Dolphins. 21 years ago, the number one song in the Billboard chart was A Moment Like This by Kelly Clarkson, uh, where it famously says, you know, some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. Dolphin fans have waited a lifetime to be 5-1, and one, apparently. 21 <laughs> years. Where were you 21 years ago, Adam? Uh, I hate to admit this, but I was already well into my career. That's how old I am. I know other members of the Miami Dolphins locker room that weren't even alive then. Uh, but yeah, I was on my third job already, if you can believe that, uh, working for the Baltimore Ravens. You wonder why Ray Lewis is behind me? Uh, that is, I'm in that picture behind me. Um, I was with the Ravens from 2002 to 2006. And so it was my first year there, and I was enjoying the big controversy among the quarterbacks there. They had Chris Redman versus Jeff Blake. That sounds like fun. Um, It was not. Certainly a step up now, huh? Covering that team to covering uh, Tua Tungavailoa, Tyreek Hill, and the most explosive offense that I've seen in my lifetime, probably. Um, And and let's – the offensive stats are are kind of ridiculous, right? And and I know – but we don't want to harp too much on just what they've done with the Panthers, but season as a whole, they have a hundred, they average a hundred yards per game more than second place right now, which coincidentally is the Eagles who they face on Sunday. They are first in points per game by seven point by a touchdown over second place. Not, uh, not, not on the season per game, per game, per seven points per game, better than second place uh, yards per drive. They're gaining 42 and a half yards per drive. That's five yards more than second place. And everybody else after that's bunched together within, you know, a yard or so as you go on down. 50% of their drives end in points. Um, Second place is 47%, so not that big of a difference. 42% end in touchdowns. Okay, that is 10% more than second place. Uh, The league average is 19%. 19% of drives end on touchdowns. For the Dolphins, it's 42%. So what we're seeing is, is, is historic. Um, but I, they can get better because there's areas where they're weak. And that is goal to go. 77% of their goal to go uh, end in touchdowns. That's 15th. They're average there. And the uh, turnovers, obviously. That I think it's like 13% of their drives end in a turnover, which is the 11th worst figure in the NFL. Cut down on turnovers, score in the goal to go. And all of a sudden, I mean, they could actually get better. Well, yeah, and, and 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 they could get some help from their defense, too. Uh, what are they, minus four, I believe, in turnover margin on the season, which is bonkers that they're like third in point differential, second or third in point differential, whatever it is, uh, and they're minus four in turnovers. I would like to see, and every week I, I say this out loud, and I'm going to come prepared one week. Great show prep we did here, Matthew. Uh, I would love to see where they rank in terms of average starting position on drives. Because they haven't had a ton of short fields. I mean, they're scoring 37 some odd points a game, uh, having to go 60, 70, 80, 90 yards every single time they get the football. So if they had a couple of short fields, uh, that scoring average would go even up higher, which is hard to fathom. Well, I have that for you. I'm glad you asked. Uh, I had the screen open actually here. Their average starting is the own 29, which is um, tied for 10th with the Eagles. There's a lot of 
tied between the Dolphins and Eagles, you will find as you go through numbers, which is interesting heading into this this matchup this week. But yeah, their own 29 is their average start position. The 49ers are first. Their own 34 is the best. So actually, that's not as bad as I thought it would be. But they they haven't they haven't had those quick turnover, take the ball over at the twenty five, the plus twenty five, and go two plays later and in the end zone. They I, the Van Ginkle fumble recovery I think put them inside the twenty, and that's really the only one I remember. I'm sure you're going to think of more examples, but there aren't many. No, that's there aren't many turnovers to think of, and the ones I can are more deep in 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 their own territory as opposed to in the opposition. So, And they have arguably the worst special teams, although they played well this past week, arguably the worst special teams in football. So it's not like they're getting big swings in the kick game either. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of metrics you look at for special teams rankings, the Dolphins are in that 28 to 32, depending on what site you're looking at. Um, they did win the special teams game against the Panthers, uh, you know, stopping that fake punt where, you know, they're trailing by a touchdown at the time that, was kind of a, a momentum, you know, swing there. Uh, I think the Dolphins scored three plays later to tie it uh, at 14. But but certainly, yeah, the special team is another area they can improve on. So this team has looked great and can get better, which is scary for the rest of the NFL, exciting for, for Dolphin fans, obviously. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Obviously, concerns you would have if you have any, which is fair. Uh, healthy offensive line. It sounds like Connor Williams is not going to practice um, Wednesday. Full disclosure, we're taping this 11 o'clock on uh, Tuesday morning, so we don't know for certain. But uh, it doesn't sound like a sure thing that they'll have Connor back for the Eagles game, which we'll get into isn't great <laughs> considering that matchup. Um, haven't had Teron Armstead for it feels like the entire season. I mean, how many snaps has that guy had? Maybe 60, 70 on the entire year. Um, Kendall Lamb's been great. So the offensive line will get healthier and should get better, which is crazy because they're already playing out of their minds. Um, and they're down two running backs now. Um, although they're going to get Jeff Wilson back, I think it's a net negative. You go from Devon Achan uh, and Chris Brooks to Jeff Wilson, you're losing that you know, transaction. So there are, you know, we can have quibbles, but as long as they've got Tudangaviloa, as long as they've got Mike McDaniel, as long as they've got Tyreek Hill, and Raheem Mostert, this offense is going to function at a high level. Yeah, and a big reason for that is obviously Tua. Um, he's the only quarterback this year in the NFL with a passer rating of at least 90 in every game, um, which speaks to the consistency level as well. It's not the peaks and valleys that you might get from from certain players. Um, Josh Allen comes to mind immediately when you think peaks and valleys. But Tua's season, it's somehow – it's funny – we always find a way, or not we, but others, to overlook what the quarterback is actually doing. And I feel like it doesn't happen to a lot of quarterbacks, um, but Tua is one of them. So you may try to marginalize what he's done because of the talent around him, but he's first in pass yards, first in yards per attempt, first in yards per completion, first in passing touchdowns, first in passer rating, first in adjusted yards per attempt, first in passing success rate. First in expected points added plus completion percentage over expectation composite. Um, and he's first in the MVP odds at most sports books now, as he should be at this stage. Um, Adam, what do you think to the people who, um, and, and there's some that will say he's a product of Mike McDaniel and Tyree Kittle, and he's not the MVP right now after six weeks. Those people are flat out wrong. And to be honest, showing their bias. Uh, and I was there 14 months ago 
um, because I didn't think Tua would be able to do what he's doing now. I was on the record about it. I've been on the record that I was wrong. Um, he has been the best player in the National Football League this year, and he has been the best player on a Miami Dolphins offense that has a receiver that might break the single season receiving records. So, like, this is not – we should not take this moment as Beasley saying Tyreek Hill is not a very important part of this offense. He is. He's dynamic. Uh, he has the vast majority of their big explosive plays. But, Matthew, those explosive plays are a small part of what this team does. Right. It's not like last year, I think you could, you, you, it was fair to say this was a boomer bust offense, right? Either you hit a home run or you strike out. And by the way, the Philadelphia Phillies are hitting a lot of home runs in the playoffs. Let's just drop that in. Well, there Phillies right fan now. over here. Let's just drop that in there right now. They're getting Schwarber even hitting home runs. You know, it's going to be a, a quick series for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> that is me digressing. Uh, Tua has been incredible. And I don't think you, you by, by saying that, it means you're denigrating what Tyreek Hill has done, what Mike McDaniel has done, what that offensive line has done, what Raheem Mostert has done. What's crazy is Raheem Mostert is only seven t- rushing touchdowns shy of Ricky Williams' se- single season record. And there are 11 games left, okay? He already has nine rushing touchdowns, and there are 11 games left. So all of these things play into a role. You can't have arguably the best offense of all time. And they're going to make a run at it if they continue to play at this level. Certainly they've beaten up on some bad defenses and we can talk about that, but you can't have this kind of historic clip and it just be because, Oh man, they got Tyreek and Mike McDaniel and that's covering up for a bad quarterback. No, it's not even covering up for an incredible quarterback. It's, it's, it's covering up for the best quarterback in the national football league right now from a statistical standpoint, there's really no doubt that he is the most valuable player on this team. And I'm going to give you some stats. And again, EPA per play isn't the end all be all. Uh, but this is from SIS credit our, our boy uh, Dalton Miller for pulling this together for me, because I was having a heated debate on the Dolphins text chat, who still not going to name names, but still some, some think that Justin Herbert would be doing the same thing, if not more in this Dolphins offense and Herbert's the better player than Tua. I don't want to have that tired debate because the, the, the excuses that are made for, Herbert were never made for Tua the first two years. And, and, and Tua has now shown that he's an incredible talent. Uh, okay, here are total EPA per plays. And explain real quick what EPA means, Matt, because you are a numbers guy. Yeah, so it's expected points added. Um, the EPA, it's something that was devised, I believe it was in the 80s in a book, um, explaining that the, the value of each individual play and what that attributes to the result of a drive which is points. So, so it, it's a mathematical formula. Um, but the interesting thing is there's stickiness with it. But when you use it as a forward, you, you know, looking um, stat to talk about what future, you know, um, trends you will see based on what EPA says about past performance. Um, so there's stickiness there that makes it relevant, I think, uh, more so than some other stats. Yeah. And, and I would say anything po- over 0.10 is a really good offense. EPA per play, anything over 0.10 is a really good offense. Anything over 0.20 is an historic offense. I mean, you're, you're talking about pretty clearly the best offense in the league at that point. I think the Niners are like 0.18 at some point at this point, like somewhere in that neighborhood. And they're a phenomenal offense. Let's not kid ourselves. That offense is great. So anything over 0.20 is you're talking about best offense in the league, one of the best offenses in recent memory. Okay. Here is 
and, and this isn't a small sample size, by the way. Tyreek Hill has missed a lot of snaps this year. They've been in blowouts, so he hasn't played late in some games. Um, he's been in the you know locker room getting IVs. He sounds like he went through six bags in week six and still cramped up pretty pretty gnarly. Um, so it's not a small sample size by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's been 140-some-odd snaps the Dolphins have had this year without Tyreek Hill on the field. That's more than two games, two and a half full games, more than a third of the season. That's, that's not insignificant, okay? When Tyreek Hill is on the field, they have an EPA per play of .13, which, again, very good. Top five in the, in the National Football League year in, year out. And the plays that he is not on the field, 0. 0.28. 0. 0.28, Matthew, that would make them, without Tyreek Hill on the field, maybe the best offense of all time. One of the best offenses that you've ever seen when he's not on the field. Uh, and, and it's largely because you're, it's, it's, it's an enormous jump in rushing efficiency. But they are more efficient passing the ball when he's off the field as well. Their EPA per play when he's on the field is 0. 0.2. When he's off the field, it's 0.36. 0.36, again, passing EPA is always going to be higher than rushing because passing is more efficient of a play than rushing is. But 0.36 is mind-boggling, mind-boggling. They're 50% more efficient, 50% more efficient, more than that, when, when, when Tyreek is off the field. Uh, and their rushing EPA is insane. With him off the field, it's 0.22. With him on the field, it's negative, negative 0.01. I think what that does is speaks to a couple of things. One. The Devon A-Chain influence in this offense was was real. And, you know, I think it will hurt them to a degree not having him. We've talked about last week that I don't think it's a, a death knell by any stretch of the imagination. They just dropped 42 without, without him. But I do also think that maybe their most efficient formation is two running backs, one tight end. When they run that, two wide receivers, two running backs, one, one tight end, I think – particularly with the, the, the running backs that they have and getting a chain back will be huge, but I think they can do some of the stuff with Ahmed. They're going to get Jeff Wilson back this week. Maybe they can do some of it with him as well. Uh, but you're also talking about Al Gingold as being one of those running backs at times too. So having that flexibility, the, the run game is absolutely fantastic when they have a fullback on the field. And so that's all a long way of saying that Tyreek, incredible player, probably going to get 2000 yards and break the NFL record for receiving yards in the season. Um, but he's not the stir that's that, 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 that mixes the drink. That is the Miami Dolphins offense. That stir, in my opinion, is Mike McDaniel and Tua Tagovailoa, And you can quibble with one who's one and one a certainly Tua didn't have this level of success without Mike. So he deserves, I would say the majority of the credit, but not the vast majority by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and just one quick kind of aside. Um, interesting that the formation, you know, being the most effective, and, and you kind of see it on film as well. And you wonder how restricted they were last year by having Mike Isiki, right? And that sounds crazy, but not having that tight end who can catch, you know, Derm Smythe can he he can be a factor in the pass game, but it is a definite factor in the run game, and that makes a difference to what McDaniel wants to do. And I wonder if Gasecki was still here. This offense, is it as explosive? Is it as efficient as it has been? And we'll never know, but, you know, I, I would lean towards no based on what we saw last year. Well, I mean, would they have the courage not to play him? I mean, that's that's really what it would come down to. Would they be fine with Durham Smythe being the, the role he's playing now and, and Gasicki being a wide receiver? Because, you know, 
can he do some of the same things that maybe Cedric Wilson's done? Sure. I mean, that's the, uh, they're not the same player by any stretch of the imagination, but you could squint and kind of see maybe they do. So, he does some of the same stuff. Um, he'd be an oversized slot receiver, I think, in this team, uh, which you take speed off the field and do that too. Like, yeah, he could probably help you in the red zone a little bit and maybe that make that goal to go, or, you know, ratio go up a tad. But is that worth making wholesale changes to your offense? No, ab- absolutely not. So um, I, I do think that having that two running back, one tight end formation, particularly when they have a guy in Smythe who's shown an ability to catch the ball more than I thought he did, how do you how do you defend that? Like, are you going to go heavy because like you have two running backs and a tight end on? You're gonna your personnel is gonna probably be heavy, right? You're gonna probably have at least seven guys in the box, uh, maybe an eighth. You're not gonna have your nickel out there because you're gonna want to have the extra linebacker to stop the run. Uh, but these these running backs run like wide receivers, yeah. and so like and they catch like wide receivers too. Like, how do you how do you defend that? You want to go go one on one with a linebacker covering Raheem Mostert or A-Chain when he was healthy or, you know, even Alec Ingle run those wheel routes as a, as a weapon. So, uh, or do you go light and keep your fifth defensive back out there and then they just run the ball down your throat? It's, it, it really is a dangerous formation for them. Uh, and I think it's one you're only going to see more of, particularly when the running backs get healthy. Yeah. Uh, unlocking this run game has been something that, um, you know, has really taken this offense to the next level. I mean, we saw glimpses of the pass offense last year, but this is a whole nother level, and that's been a big part of it. Um, and McDaniel's getting back to what he has done historically, right? He was a run game coordinator. And I think people forget that point of it as well. You know, with all the attention paid to Tua and his relationship, he was a run game guy from a Shanahan tree who's, you know, historically focused on the run game. So um, it was about time, you know, we should have all saw that, that they wanted to do this. Nobody could have saw it. it would have been this effective this year. Yeah, and he uses all 53 and a third yards sideline to sideline. That's that's what's wild is like that <laughs> that touchdown pass, that first touchdown I think they had to Mostert. Go back and watch what Durham Smythe did on that that play, which was wild because I think he was he did he line up as an inline tight end to start. He was certainly on the left side of the formation. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. I don't know if he had his hand in the dirt or not, but he he was, you know, he was you know, left side of the formation, he comes in one of their big sweeping motions behind Tua at the snap of the ball and then runs out as a flying lead backer on a swing pass to Mostert. That is using every single inch of the field when you do that. And and I think it was just a snapshot of, of, of how, how McDaniel conceptualizes how this offense is supposed to function. Yeah. And, um, you know, all the the numbers you just gave, we don't want to make it seem like it's a slight at, at Tyreek because it's obviously not. Um, he's probably the best receiver in the NFL right now. Um, I record. I mean, when you look at the numbers, it's absurd what he's doing on the fact that he has the 814 yards he has on only 59 targets, like that, that only 59 targets this year, and he has those numbers. Um, everyone talks about the, the, the record and the Calvin Johnson record and 2000 yards and all that. Uh, right now, Tyreek's on a 17 game pace of 2,306 yards. Um, but now everyone's going to say it's 17 games. So I, I, I wonder how much Tyreek would want to break it in 16 games just to do away with the asterisk. Right. And he's on pace for that. He's on pace for 2,100 yards, uh, through 16 games. 
which is insane. Um, Calvin Johnson's record is 19, what is it? 1906, I believe. Uh, 1964. There it is. 1964. Um, Tua needs 1,150 more yards to reach that record. That's 115 yards per game. Uh, if he wants to do it in 16 games, if he wants to do it in 17 games, we need 105 yards per game. All, you know, certainly achievable. Um, and I just want to point out one thing. Calvin Johnson, when he broke the record, he had 205 targets that year. So he averaged about nine and a half yards per target. Tyreek Hill averages 13.8 yards per target right now. I mean, he, he will need about 150 if he keeps his pace up, 150 targets to break the Calvin Johnson record, which is, is a ridiculous stat. Here's a question for you. Legit question. Why is he far better, not just a little bit better, but far better now with Mike McDaniel and Tua Tagovailoa, Tonga Bailoa, than he was with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, who have been for five, six years, the gold standard of a coach quarterback combination. I, I don't, I don't have that answer. I, I mean, there's no Travis Kelsey taking targets away, but even still, um, there's not a large. Last year, there wasn't a large target discrepancy between Tyreek's historic discrepancy, you know, historic um, target number. And Travis and um, Tyreek's number, you know, with Travis Kelsey in Kansas City, not a big difference. So sorry, sorry for everyone who was watching the YouTube stream. I had to go let my dog in because she was tearing down the door. I apologize for that. That's okay. The dog wants to listen. She does. She's a huge Justin Herbert fan. She wants to be on the record why the Dolphins would be even better if Justin Herbert was our quarterback. I think you should let the dog back out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but it's certainly worth considering. And then, you know, all of those that want to, you know, again, take shots at Tua's MVP candidacy because of the team around him. Well, Mahomes had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who was is Kelsey, one of the three best tight ends ever, probably. Yeah. So no one did that with Mahomes. And they shouldn't have. And they shouldn't do it with, with Tua either is the point. No, no quarterback wins the MVP without being on a very, very, very good team. A very, very, very good team. You're just not going to be able to have the wins that you need to get the award and to accumulate the statistical body of work. Like you could be, you could be making all the, the best throws in the world. And if guys aren't open making the catches and people are blocking and, and all that, if you don't have that, you're not going to win the MVP simply because your stats aren't going to look nearly as good as they should. Um, and so, yeah, it's obviously Tua has benefited from obviously from getting rid of a coach that basically kept him in jail. Right. Uh, emotionally at the very least, um, to Mike McDaniel, who is the most affirmational coach I have ever encountered. Um, yes, big, big, big benefit. And to his career was saved by that coaching change probably. And, you know, maybe he goes somewhere else and he has, you know, second act like Drew Brees did perhaps, but we don't know. Uh, and, and I, and I do think that there were on, on, on a lot of offenses, he would not be as good as Justin Herbert. I, I think that's fair. I think he would not be nearly as good as Justin Herbert on that Chargers offense. And I think that's more of an indictment of the scheme and the personnel than it is on Tua, but yes, Justin has the physical ability to make plays that Tua does not, but you know what? Tua has the timing, the physical ability and the intelligence to make plays that Justin Herbert couldn't conceive of. Like, like, like how many times is Herbert late on throws all the time? 
all the time. Yes, he can do the dynamic things that make you just drop your jaw, but that's not what makes a good quarterback. What makes a quarter, good quarterback is dependability, down in, down out, knowing where to go with the football, getting it out on schedule, and then when a shot's there, taking it and taking advantage of it. It's not like two is a bad deep passer. I'm watching ESPN right now, and they just he just hit two of his that that that, that touchdown. It was perfect throw, uh, you know, when they needed the backflip and the camera and all that. You still need to have someone who delivers that throw on time, on schedule, and 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 Tua has done that as well as anybody in the National Football League this year. Yeah, and to that point, and not to harp on this too much, but just last night, Monday Night Football with the Chargers and the Cowboys, there were two throws, one notably to Keenan Allen, that might change the game and swing it in favor of the Chargers if he connects on a wide-open throw that it needed a little touch, and that's Dating back to Oregon, that was always um, Herbert's, uh, you know, kind of the, the thing that made you wonder about him. I, won't, I don't want to say it's bad, but the, the, there would be touch throws that he just couldn't put on film in college. It's translated to the pros. And last night, for, for all the country to watch, it was, on, you know, it was clear as day how, how open he had, what, a four-yard radius around him that he could have dropped that ball in, and he just missed Keenan Allen. Um, yeah. And th- those are the kinds of throws that, and maybe Tua misses him when he has no confidence and, and he's playing on their Brian Flores. But, I mean, that's the kind of throw we see regularly now from Tua. Oh, that's a routine throw for Tua. Yeah. Like, that's not even a challenging throw for him at this point. The challenging throw is when the wide receiver hasn't even made his break yet on the third level and there's two defenders right in Tua's eyesight after he turns around with his back to the, the line of scrimmage, by the way, with massive arrogance after play action. And, and he, he lets the ball go to a spot where he just believes his receiver is going to be. He believes the receiver is going to open up that window and, and, and occupy the space that, that's needed. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Now, you, you, you look at the picks that Tua has made, and they've just been largely just dumb decisions, right? It's not like uh, the, 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 the play is broken down or physically he hasn't been able to make the throw or any of these things. No, he just – didn't have the right read and threw, threw to a space that had two dudes in it. And that was the pick six they had uh, um, two weeks ago. It's hard to keep my pick sixes uh, straight. The last one was Mike White. Two uh, two pick sixes ago was Tua. Yes. That he threw to a space that had, you know, had two giants in the same place. And yeah, that, that those are the interceptions he's made. It's not because his, his arm strength, like the noodle arm wrap on him. Oh, he can't make the throws, can't. They've thrown outside the numbers pretty good this year, right? It's not like this has totally been an offense that's been between the numbers, like last year largely was. And the great thing about Tua is, like, every single year, every single year, he takes a narrative and just shreds it. Just completely shreds it, right? Um, and and I think the one he's in the, the, the process of overcoming is durability. And he has not appeared. Again, I don't want to jinx them, so knock on wood. Uh, he has not appeared on a single injury report in the first six weeks of the season. He said, told me last week, this is as good as he could possibly feel at this stage. Credit goes a long way, certainly to the offensive line, to McDaniel for scheming up an offense where the ball comes out of his hand quick. But like, what, what do we say about Tua next if he, win, if he, if he starts 17 games this year? I mean, what, what's, what's the next thing? He, what's the next narrative he's going to destroy? And again, you're talking about the, the 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 beast feeder, right? Like I'm one who absolutely leaned into all these questions because they seemed to me legitimate at the time. He's just going about his business and saying whatever you think of me, whatever you think my limitations are, you're wrong. I'm going to prove it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and your point about the offensive line um, should not be overlooked, right? The Dolphins are allowing sacks and only 3% of the team's dropbacks, which is second in the NFL. They're only being pressured on 11%, 11.9% of, of dropbacks, which is first in the NFL, according to Pro Football Reference. Um, and, and I guess this is a good segue now to the Eagle game because the Eagles are pressuring quarterbacks on 25.7% of dropbacks, which is the fifth most, tied with the Dolphins, by the way. Again, another one. The Eagles and Dolphins are very similar in a lot of categories. Um, the, the Eagles aren't getting home as much. They're, they're sacking quarterbacks with eight and a half percent of dropbacks, which is middle of the pack, 14th. But that's going to be one of the big aspects of, of this game is can the Dolphins protect Tua against Hassan Reddick and um, and Josh it, Josh Sweat is the other um, other top two pass rushers. They may be without um, the rookie Jalen Carter. Right, he missed. I believe he missed a Jet game. He might miss this game. But still, right, the offensive line protecting Tua is going to be one of the two or three big stories uh, for this game on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, they got to be able to run the football, right? They 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 can't get and do just a pure drop back game against the Eagles because you know the Eagles are going to do whatever they can to run the football. And the Dolphins uh, have not been great against the run, although they've been better since the opener. So, uh, if, yeah, if this is – I don't know what the magic number is for rushing yards or attempts that they need to win. Uh, but if this is a game where it's a 45 to 15 ratio pass to run, I don't love the Dolphins chances. Now sounds like Darius Slay might have some uh, injury issues as well. We'll see if he plays, but um, you know, I, I do think that the, 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 the Dolphins um, are going to have, a challenge that the likes of which they haven't seen since the Buffalo game. And we saw that went very poorly for them. Um, but I do think that they learned from that and, and getting away from the run way too early was, was an issue. Like if they, this, this, this really is an insanely efficient run offense and an incredibly efficient run offense. If they don't have that balance, it's, it's, it's not great for them from a, you know, from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, and this is a chance, you know, their, their second chance to prove themselves. You know, the, the Bills game we talked about was a litmus test, uh, did not go well. Um, and, and that's kind of been what I've noticed this year, this week in the kind of the narrative around the league is the Dolphins' strength of victory. It's one, it's point one seven two, which is second lowest in the NFL among teams with at least two wins. The five teams the Dolphins have beat this year have combined for five total wins themselves. So... You know, that, that 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 is now the latest and greatest narrative the Dolphins need to overcome and improve. And, and this is a chance, right, on the nationally televised game, which is the game of the week, right? It, it's going to be on Sunday Night Football, and it deserves to be because you have two 5-1 teams. Um, but, but there's concerns. Right? We, we kind of doted all over the offense, but the defense. The defense has some concerns. Um, I guess you know, we can start in the secondary because I think that's where a lot of it um, – well, you know, stems from Xavier Howard left the game on, on Sunday. Um, do you have anything you can enlighten us on with Xavier Howard, his possible availability, and what it might mean to the secondary if uh, they don't have him? Yeah, I gladly answer that question in a second. I just wanted to uh, touch on a point that you made in the lead up to that question. Um, yes, their strength of victory is laughable. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really bad. Um, but they're also beating the piss out of teams, man. It's not like, like if they were five and one against those five teams and their, and, and, and their scoring margin was, you know, like the Eagles, by the way, 
the Eagles are plus 31 and their strength of schedule has not been that, you know, stellar either. I mean, they're, they have, they do not have an impressive body of work when it comes to teams they've beaten and teams they've lost to. Uh, if it was that, I would be a little bit more like, yeah, yeah, this it could be a little bit fraudulent five and one. I mean, they're absolutely massacring teams. I mean, they, they can spot the Panthers 14 points and not even blink, like win by 21, like win going away. So, yeah, you, you look at what you kind of have to do is you kind of have to interpret the numbers. And the numbers tell me, as we just talked about with EPA, that what they're doing is so historically good that while it wouldn't be as good against some of these top opponents, it doesn't mean that they're just fluking their ways into this, these wins. And they are very clearly one of the five best teams in the National Football League, not even close. Now, I'm not as concerned about, like, the offense scores points. They, they're, they're low of the season's 20, and I think that was kind of a misleading 20 because they had tons of opportunities to score in other ways. But the way the game went, going for fourth down, you know, going for two instead of the extra point, like there are a lot of ways that they cost themselves points. Um, that if their only you know, their only goal was to score twenty eight, they could have scored twenty eight points. They could have done it. Yeah, um, and I think there's something to the mindset of the defense not being able to get a stop at all, and the offense putting more pressure on themselves, and a lot of that game script got out of control in a hurry. Um, so the, yeah, that twenty is misleading. Yep. So um, yeah, no. As for the as for your the broader question about the secondary, don't have again as of eleven thirty on on on. Um, Tuesday, I don't have the latest on Xavier Howard. The latest that we know of is who's undergoing more uh, testing on Monday for a groin injury. Matt, I'm not going to lie to you. When I heard that was the the issue he's having, I, I kind of shuddered a bit because 2022 was Xavier Howard's worst season. It was his worst season because he had groin injuries. I believe he had one to each side. I think he had two at some point. Yeah. So um, – not great and certainly not great because if you want to look at it, what the Achilles heel of this team is, it's their inability to cover. They're do they do a fine job getting after the quarterback. They do a much better job of stopping the run. Their offense is nearly flawless defense. Their coverage stinks, right? It's really bad. And they, and it, and, and it tells you it's bad because they keep rotating through potential corners to fix the problem and nothing really has. And I think even in the second half last week, there were some throws there Bryce Young could have made that that he missed. He just didn't see. Um, so Jalen Hurts is not going to give you that pass. He is a much better quarterback at this stage in his career uh, than his fellow Crimson Tide. Um, yeah, that to me is is the worry. If they lose this game, it's because not because the, the, the Eagles solve the Dolphins' offense. The Dolphins' offense is going to be fine. It might not put up 42, but it's going to be fine. They're going to lose this game if they do because A.J. Brown – and Devontae Smith run free down the field on the against the likes of Eli Apple, uh, Cater Kohu, and Perry Nickerson. Maybe I mean that's who yeah, was the Perry guy. Perry Nickerson twenty nine percent of the snaps. He 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 yeah. he was that that, that dime back last week. Yep, yeah, and so maybe Nick Needham comes back. Uh, again, I'm sorry if you're listening to this and it's dated already, but we don't know if Nick's going to be able to to be back. He is that in the third week now of his window to return. Um, uh, from pup, although I don't know the pup rules are the same as I are. He might have a little bit more time. I think but he regard- has more time. Yes. Yeah. R- regardless, um, he's now a full year removed from that Achilles repair, and that's that's the timeline, right? A year is what Achilles usually take, unless you're Aaron Rodgers and you know Ayahuasca has got you powered to have an incredible recovery from a torn Achilles. Um, 
maybe maybe we see him, I mean, possibly, uh, but not having Xavier Howard, not having Jalen Ramsey is going to be an enormous challenge if that's the case uh, for a pass rush that needs to get after the quarterback repeatedly. And we don't know if Lane Johnson is going to play, but if he does, I mean, that's a really good offensive line. Um, a lot going on here, man. There really is. And yeah. it's great though. It's great to have games like this where you really have to dig into the subplots. We didn't do any of this the last couple of weeks. None of it. There wasn't it's, a need to. There yeah, wasn't a need re- to. You know, that's why uh, Dolphin fans need to enjoy this because you get to be the center of the NFL universe for a week. And if you win, I mean, that's a whole nother level then. Um, if they win, then you get to enjoy it again when you play the Chiefs in Germany. But here's a question. If they win, are they the best team in the National Football League? No, probably not. Still a 49ers. And more about, I don't think the Eagles are, if this was the 49ers, different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I put their loss to the Browns. That's a side. That was a fluke. They were without Debo and, and Christian McCaffrey. I think you'd have to beat the Niners to be. I mean, they of- did lose to a third string quarterback. It's not like, it's yeah, it's not like the the Browns had Deshaun out there. I mean, it was. Well, that might actually benefit them, but that, that, that that's for yeah, another point. Good point. For another conversation. Yeah. Um, no, I, mean, I, I think I, they'll have a yeah. chance. If they win this, if they also beat the Chiefs in Germany, I think you have a case. Um, I don't think just being the Eagles alone will be able to convince everyone that the Dolphins are the best team in the NFL. Oh, I'm just um, asking you. Does it convince you? No, I, I would still – I would want to see a win against – they don't play the Niners. They won't get that opportunity until the Super Bowl. Um, but the – you know, beat, beat the Chiefs. Beat the Eagles and Chiefs, and then I will tell you they're the best team because that would be an impressive, impressive uh, little, you know, group of wins there to have on your resume. It would be nice to have one of these at home. Like, seriously, it would be nice. It to does get, seem like all these the big Bills on the road. Yeah, Eagles on the road. In that way. Yeah, Chiefs five thousand miles away uh, in Germany. Uh, what's aside from the Bills, who they obviously get twice? What's their biggest test at home? It'll be the Cowboys Christmas Eve, I think. Okay, that's probably it. Which, um, which is they're, they're probably the fourth, the third or fourth best team in the NFC. So that's that's certainly a, that's certainly a test. Um, but yeah, you're 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 waiting three and a half months to to, to get that first real home game. That I think you need to be able to like, to, like honestly, if the Dolphins, the Dolphins are incredible at Hard Rock Stadium. Like they've won 15 of their last 17, nearly unbeatable there. Uh, if they beat the Cowboys, you know, convincingly even, but if they beat the Cowboys um, on Christmas Eve, um, and they get home field advantage, they've got to be the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. They have to just simply because of how good they are in that stadium. So it would it would be nice to be able to see, hey. Eagles come to our place. Chiefs come to our place, and 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 then we'll get a kind of a sense that, yeah, that game in Buffalo got away from for about nine different ways. I don't think it's the same outcome of that game was in Miami. I think it's a different story. Yeah, and we'll see that what the the, the week after the Cowboy game, um, or maybe two weeks after. Two weeks yeah, after, we, I think we, it's the last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, because they have uh, week seventeen, I believe, uh, is in Baltimore. So yes, they finish. I believe they finish with Cowboys, Ravens, Bills. Which honestly, once you get past the Chiefs, those are their only three hard games left. I mean, we could. I guess we could talk about the Jets. Do you want to take time to talk about the Jets briefly on the Dolphins and Dolphins podcast? Uh, yeah, you know what? I will pass. We will put that off till Thanksgiving week. Um, 
Because who knows? Maybe Aaron Rodgers is, is, is you know, he, he's he's back already somehow in, in, in three months from an Achilles. Because every time I see an update, he's, you know, progressing more and more. And, you know, I, I, I have nothing else to add. It's it's because, that whole storyline is bizarre. Um, it's because he doesn't have anything to do it. More power to him. But. Foreign toxins in his body. He is, has the strength to heal on his own. It's pretty amazing. It, it's and those that can't um, see on our podcast, I am smiling because it was sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now before we get to a, a pick, and I know you hate doing these kinds of picks on a Tuesday, right? Um, but I also feel like we've kind of, you know, discussed a lot of the storylines here. But I just, the, the whole nationally televised Sunday Night Football game, game of the week thing. McDaniel was asked about it on, I think it was on Sunday after the Panther game, because we're already looking ahead, right? And he's and he mentioned how you, know, you do things the right way, and they give you a reason for people to pay attention to you, right? So I was trying to think, when was the last time the Dolphins played in a game like this, where both teams enter a nationally televised game at the top of their conference standings? Um, and initially 2013, Monday night game against the Saints, both teams were 3-0 in the Superdome and the, the Saints did, you know, win like 38, 17, but that was early in the season. So then I wanted to go back further. So I went to Thanksgiving, 2003, which was the game against the Cowboys with Jay Fiedler, Chris Chambers. Uh, they were seven and four. The Cowboys were eight and three going into that game. That's still not quite the same. So I had to go back to 2002. It was a Monday night game, four and one Dolphins in mile high against the four and one Broncos. And the Dolphins won that game. That's probably the last time that, you know, in, into October or later that they had a game where it was two of the top teams in the NFL in a nationally televised game. And notice all of them were on the road, to your point, which is just weird. Um, but, but, but yeah, this hopefully this one turns out better than, um, you know, the, the Saints game, because that, that was one that I immediately thought of, you know, it was early in the season at 3-0. And the Saints just steamrolled them. That was Tannehill's second year. Um, yeah, but, but but here but here's the thing: those games, and even the 2003 game, no one thought the Dolphins were going to go to the Super Bowl. Like, yeah, they were even the heyday of that defense with Fiedler. No one thought that was a Super Bowl team, right? It. I mean, it was the Ricky Williams second year. I mean, his second year wasn't as impressive as the first. The first year, the 1800 year, who knows? But yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean. At the time, again, disclosure, in, in 2003, I was 19? <laughs> yeah, 19. So I probably thought they were going to the Super Bowl because that's um, what I did every year from the time I was like 12. Uh, but I don't know what the national narrative around them was, but but the, everyone loved the Cowboys that year. And the Dolphins went in there on Thanksgiving, and they just trounced them. Um, you know, but what's going to happen here, Adam? That, that, that's what I want to know. What's going to happen on, on Sunday in Philadelphia in front of a national audience when the Dolphins have a chance to really, um, you know, kind of make a name for themselves to those that are doubting them? I'll, I'll say this. If the Dolphins lose, it'll be because they can't cover, right? That, that, that'll be it. So are you, are you telling me, do I get Xavier Howard or not? That's the question. And I can't make that. You get Xavier Howard. But he, but he, but but he's a little bit, you know, he's not 100, percent right. Uh, uh, and do I get Nick Needham? Does it make a difference for you? I mean, I'll take him over Eli Apple. Okay, well, that's fair. Um, <laughs> okay, you get Nick Needham. I think the Dolphins win. I think they're the better team. I, I and that's the thing is that I, 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 yes, the Dolphins have their deficiencies. 
the Eagles have deficiencies. Like they, they like they've got concerns, and um, they're not the same team that that blew through the NFC last year. And honestly, if Brock Purdy's elbow exploded, maybe they didn't get to the Super Bowl. Like, like, uh, look, God bless him, Jalen Hurts, very, very good player. Tua will throw circles around him, and I get, I know Jalen Hurts, he's a dual threat and all that, and he does things that 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 Tua cannot. Tua is a far better passer, pocket pocket passer uh, than Jalen Hurts is. There's so many Jalen's, it's hard for me to keep track. I almost said Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Waller. There are a lot of Jalen's. Yeah, hard to keep them all all on track this game. No, I I, I think the Dolphins are the better team. I think their offense is so much better than the Eagles' offense. Like, so much better. Not even close to, like, way better that if they can get figure out a way to get enough stops, they're going to win this football game. Yeah, I mean, the, the big concern to me, the, the, the secondary is a concern, but also the whole scrambling quarterback thing, because we've seen time and time again that that gives the Dolphins fits. Um, anytime they play, it's not just Josh Allen. There's been others as well that because they can get that initial pressure on them and then they can't get home, the, you know, the quarterback breaks contain and all hell breaks loose in the secondary. And, and that's happened a lot where the the play starts and you're like, Oh yeah, we got pressure on him. You know, it's going to be a positive play for the defense. And it's not. And um, maybe those scars are showing up here now because I I think the Eagles will win. I think it will be, this will not be a game like Buffalo. I don't think unless, I mean, there would be some unraveling with turnovers for that to get away. But I, I think a, you know, four to six point victory by the Eagles is probably um, what, if, if I was a betting man, that would probably be what I would do. Um, but but certainly this game is is a, a close game into the fourth quarter is how I kind of see it playing out. Um, probably one one or two stops short. Yep. Is how I think it's going. I think it's going to be their most entertaining game of the season, and that's saying Absolutely. something because they they had the Chargers in Week One. Absolutely. I, I mean, win or lose, I think America is going to enjoy watching the Dolphins' offense and and maybe their defense because they'll allow big plays. Um, <laughs> it, it could turn into a shootout. Very quickly. I don't know. I don't know what the the uh, the total is, but um, it, it, over has got to be the popular wager there from the public because I think this could turn into a shootout pretty easily, um, pretty quickly. We'll see. You know, I, I've got a friend whose name I'm not going to share because Dolphins fans would know this name, but I've got a friend who's a season ticket holder, and uh, he's like, "Oh man, if I was given the choice between a grind out." 19 to 16 Super Bowl or getting you know, losing the divisional round, but scoring 60, give me the 60. Like, like you know, certainly I would prefer to win a Super Bowl, all things being equal. But if you're telling me what product I want to pay for more, give me the up and down track meet. And, and I think that there's a lot of that going on. Uh, one more thing before we get out of here, Matt, I know we we're running late. Did you notice how many people showed up to Hard Rock Stadium dressed as empty seats in, in week six? Like there were, it's a problem for that stadium. And I know the, 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 the players always say how great the fans are. The fans that show up are fantastic. But if there's not a strong out-of-town draw, there are five to 10,000 empty seats every game. Those seats are sold. They're, they were more likely than not sold to speculators who wanted to, you know, turn a profit. Uh, and they had a real hard time finding Panthers fans to buy those seats. So um, I don't know, and the ratings haven't been great this year. 
this has made me think that there are no casual Dolphins fans and there are no bandwagon jumpers that the, the core they have is fervent. And I deeply appreciative. And this is not a joke, deeply appreciative of those that listen to this podcast, those that read our stories, you pay our salaries, but I do think there's a pretty hard cap to how many Dolphins fans there are in South Florida and all the excuses. Oh, we're sitting in the sun. Nope. Oh, the team's boring. Nope. Oh, the team's bad. Nope. None of those things apply. And there were still a lot of empty seats against the Panthers. I'm sure when the Cowboys are in town, it's going to be packed. And I'm sure when the Bills are in town, the Jets are in town, it's going to be packed. See about the Patriots. I don't know if their fans are going to travel, but it, to me, if, 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 if South Florida sports fans don't embrace this team with both hands and arms and bear hug this team, I don't know if football is ever going to be the same in this market because you cannot ask the personalities they have. It's an incredibly likable team, incredibly likable. They have the most dynamic offense. They have the most dynamic quarterback. They have the most dynamic wide receiver. All of these things that you wanted to ask for, you're getting Dolphins fans. You got to show some love back. Yeah, I, I, not being local to the area, I, I always um, wondered, you know, what, what the, you know, why it was the way it was, kind of post Marino, um, as far as the stadium being filled and the ratings and all that. Nationally, I, I think, and I've said this for a while, I think they have a fervent, strong national, non-local following, and I don't know how it happened. I mean, I'm one of them. Don't know how it happened. Anytime I wear Dolphin stuff out. In, in New Jersey or New York City, I'll get some negative stuff from Jet fans with a shout at me because that's what Jet fans do. But I will get a surprising amount of Dolphin fans coming up to me and, and just saying, yeah, Dolphins and walking away and things like that. It happens. My wife laughs. Um, pretty much any time I'm out in public now with my son and we're at, uh, you know, someplace doing something for the fall, a corn maze, uh, any, someone comes up to me. And that's a Dolphin fan. And, and I see a lot in social media as well. I think their their following nationally is very strong. That you know they have really committed diehard fans across the country. But locally, yeah, I mean you can see the seats on on TV. It's not a secret. Um, and and then when you see the ratings numbers come out for the local television ratings, they're always at the bottom. Um, and yeah, like you said, if not now, when? And 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 part of that is, and this isn't a secret. Uh, there are there is a large percentage of the Miami market that's untouchable, that you cannot reach them. And a lot of it's the language divide. I mean, this is, we're a city of immigrants. We really are. Um, and so there are some that just won't like football and, and, and won't consume the media that we produce because they don't speak the language. I mean, it's just, it's not being jingoistic. It's just the truth. I mean, that Miami has um, some, you know, some real challenges as a sports town for, for American sports that don't have, don't have an international appeal. And even the NBA, it's an international sport in the way that the NFL is not. Um, but you would still think you would still get people coming down from Broward County, Palm Beach County, even further north uh, that, uh, you know, are generational Americans who grew up watching football. Uh, it's hard for me to get my head around why you cannot fill a stadium of 65,000 when you have the best product in the league. And that's got to change. It just has to. Yeah. And, and it will be very interesting if the Dolphins do get a home playoff game this year, what the seats look like for that. And is it going to be a situation where it's, you know, 
70 30 with the opposing fans or or with dolphin fans buy those tickets up um it'll be it'll be you know hopefully we get a chance to see that that's and then we we'll haven't have we haven't since 2008 yeah and it didn't end well no it did uh, not as anyone could have saw with chad pennington versus a ravens defense that's that that was destined to fail but okay we are out of time um enjoy the game on sunday sunday it, it, it'll be fun um if nothing else that's you know it, it should be an entertaining game um be sure to find all of our Dolphins content here at profootballnetwork.com slash Miami hyphen Dolphins. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe on YouTube if you are watching on YouTube. And if you're not, you should. Um, and we will see you back here next week on the Pro Football Network Miami Dolphins podcast.